0: So good evening, everyone. I was trying to think today about what would be really important to share tonight right, what, what what needs to be said or what's important? what, what of the Dharma would be a value of this night of the retreat, this time and place And so I always end up at the same place. I'll, Honestly, I always come back to the heart. <laughs> no matter what, I always end up there talking about this path, this journey, this heart. And I wanted to just offer that tonight. Really, I just gathered some of my favorite stories and wanted to talk about life, the path, the spiritual path that we're on, and, and just a little bit more about that and this opening of the heart and this development of wisdom freedom, happiness, joy. So I want to start by telling a story, um, a story that touched me, and I think um, has touched me continually for years for some reason. About 10 years ago, uh, I was on a retreat on the East Coast, and I was on a really long retreat. I was doing a period of like six months of practice. At a small center in the woods in Massachusetts, a place called the Forest Refuge, and um, I, after about four months, I hit a sort of a, a plateau where I was just kind of going crazy, you know, like get me out of this place! <laughs> I can't take it. It was like you want to talk about hindrances? I had all of them at the same time on all of them on ten, and I was. I just couldn't figure it out. I was like, I, I got to get out of here. I was on the verge of leaving. And so I went into the library. They have a small library there with just really hardcore Buddhist books. Like, it's like reading the Bible, you know, it's like <laughs> the language. And I had already kind of read through a lot of things. And I had looked at every book in there were a million times, you know. You notice yourself reading things you wouldn't read here, like the shampoo or the. Like, <laughs> wow, this is so interesting what is this you know these chemicals or what's going on here so I was like that you know just looking for anything to distract myself and there was nothing there okay nothing (laughs) and um, so I'm walking along and I see between these two giant volumes of like the poly canon there's a little book squeezed in I was like what is this (laughs) (laughs) And I pulled out this little book. It was like someone had stuck it in there. And I pulled it out and it didn't look like it looked like someone had self-published it. It didn't look like it was from a major publisher. And it had a camel on the front of it. And it said, The camel knows the way. And I was like, I'm gonna read this. So I like ran back <laughs> to my room. You know, of course I was like something to do with the mind. And I started reading this book, and it actually became very magical. And the book, to summarize, was about this woman from England. And it was about over, the book was chronicling basically her 25-year friendship with Mother Teresa. And it was incredibly profound. She had started going to India, and she was an interesting woman because she was both Catholic and also Buddhist. And so she would go on retreats, and then she would go to India and uh, spend time with Mother Teresa, and she would spend time working with the Sisters of Mercy, which is this lineage of nuns, the nuns' order that Mother Teresa founded. And the sisters, um, the nuns, you know, they live a very simple life of renunciation and service. So they own nothing, just their robes and sandals. They live, and they're just dedicated to helping the poorest people on the planet, the sickest people, the forgotten people. And so this woman was really wealthy too, so she had come from this kind of affluent you know, background, and she would go and she would spend time for months at these orphanages and get all these teachings from Mother Teresa, and she would have tea with Mother Teresa in the evenings, and they would talk and talk about the heart and compassion. Of course, that was the main topics. And she was really always struggling with it. Like, I can't take this anymore. I can't take the suffering and the poverty. And she would kind of freak out and leave and then go off for a while. And then maybe six or eight months later, she would come back. Okay, I'm ready to start again. And she would do these retreats with the nuns and the the service projects, you know, picking up people on the streets. and, And it was just stretching her and opening her. And she was trying to have this warm heart you know she wanted sort of this the buddha's heart of compassion and she wanted the christ consciousness of service and love you know she was trying to merge these paths so after she had spent many months in india she decided that she wanted to do this pilgrimage through the desert Sort of like the great mystics of the past, you know, the desert fathers out, you know, crossing, you know, the mountains. And she had set up this whole trip and she was going to go on a camel. And she, because she had some, you know, wealth, she could hire a guide and have a, you know, a nice trip, right? It wasn't like she was alone. So the time came for her to go on this great pilgrimage and um, she has this these two guides and they're on these camels and they're riding the sun comes up in the morning and they start the journey for the day and as the sun's going down they come into a little camp and it's all set up and things are going well for the first seven days and the the, her guides they speak very little english i can't remember what their primary language was but it's, it's very it was very simple words so they didn't spend a lot of time talking they mostly just smiled at each other a lot you know how you do when you don't really know another language. You just smile and, okay, let's have tea. And, <laughs> you know, she would write in the evenings in her journal and they would rest or sit by the fire. So they get up this one morning and um, they, they're packing up and the sun's rising and they put her on the camel and because she's older and a little bit frail. And so they put her on the camel and then they smack the butt of the camel and the camel starts, you know, walking and they did turn around and go the opposite way. And she was looking at them like, hello, what are you doing, right? And, and they only knew these few lines in English. So they said, the camel knows the way. And they, they just turned around and left. And she was in the middle of the desert. And she was like, oh, my God, I'm screaming at them. I paid you. I paid. Where are you going? You can't leave me out here, right? But they just went on their way. They left. And so there she is. And this chapter is describing the next 15 hours of everything that she went through, through rage, to thinking, I'm going to die out here. She saw no one. And she didn't have any faith that the camel knew anything, right? It was just walking along. And she was crying at points she was so terrified she was she just peed on the camel everything was (laughs) happening she couldn't get off she was didn't know what she was bandits were gonna come and kill her I mean all these mind states right were coming everything everything was coming for hours and hours and she had a little water thing and a little snack package so she wasn't like you know famished or anything but the emotions that were going through her so finally, after many hours of just going through everything she could think of, she started to think of the teachings of Mother Teresa. And she started to think, if I'm going to die out here, is this the way I want to die? Screaming on the camel with pee and all the... No, I can't. I can't do this. I want I deserve better than that, right? Like if this is it, this is it, right? I want to I feel all these teachings that I've, I've, I've all the work that I've done, and she started to reflect on all these conversations that they had had, and the faith that Mother Teresa was always telling her, have faith, have faith, have faith, open your heart, trust, have faith, and so she started to do that, and over the next few hours, it was as if her heart just started to have this profound awakening that she thought of all the teachings of the Buddha, and all these great masters that she had met in, throughout her life, and she started to think of Jesus, and she started to think of Mary, and all these beings, right? The magic of life, and all that she had been given, and this profound gratitude began to come for all the gifts, you know? And in and, and her mind, she was preparing to die. She was quite sure that any, you know, that that would happen. The camel would wander forever until she dehydrated, or, you know, so she was sort of preparing for that. That's what she thought. So... As the, she sees the sun, it's starting to get lower and lower in the sky, and she's like, "Okay, pretty soon I'll freeze," you know. And you know, her mind's going, but she didn't mind. She had to opened to something, her heart, right. And tears were flowing, and suddenly, as she's, you know, the camel through all the the whole thing, all the crying, all the all the hysterics, the camel was just plodding along, right. Just walking one step after another, no problem. And sure enough, as the sun is just starting to go down, she sees his lights flickering. And sure enough, exactly at the right moment the camel pulled into the next stop. It knew the way. Right. So obviously that was a profound moment to arrive there and after all she had been through, right? And what a teaching. And and at that moment it was that was what I needed to hear to get me through. Right? It was like whatever was happening, I had started to lose faith. I'd started to question everything. I started to feel the suffering. And and I, I thought, why am I doing this? What is all this for? Right? What I was like, I got lost. And I forgot the heart in that moment. The heart closed down. Right? It was like it got brittle inside. And the, I think the theme, in some way, of that chapter was that the heart has a GPS device. It knows how to get home. <laughs> but here's the thing, we have to be willing to listen to it. We have to be willing to... The mind is such a powerful force, right? It's a f- powerful force in our culture. We're very mind dominated, right? We know how to think. And we're praised by how well we think, right? We're given grades on how well we think, right? Nobody wants an F, you want the A. Can you think deeper? Can you see more? Can you analyze more? We're sort of trained that this is the highest value, right? And the heart, I mean, you don't go to school and they teach you about love and compassion, right? That's not in ninth grade, you know, on the curriculum right it's it's like you've got to pass the test and so that's okay there's value in that there's qualities that we can use in developing our intellectual capacities but when that becomes out of balance and we lose touch with this beauty of the intuitive wisdom of the heart we suffer we're not a full we're not living fully right it's like we're living in the mirage I like to play on Pascal's talk last night, right? The mind lives in these mirages, but there's something about the heart, that the heart is rooted in a deeper truth. And to access that, you have to access your body. You can't be disembodied and be a heart-centered person. It's just not that way. You have to be able to feel, right? Feel your way through, right? What is this body saying? Where, Where is the... Where's the right decision to make here? Well, what does the heart say? We sit and we feel that, right? We tune into that. And so, for me, the, the path of the Dharma has been about cultivating both of these aspects of ourselves, the wisdom to see the truth, right? To see the three characteristics. We have to have mindfulness. But we also have to have this quality of love and a quality of compassion. It's impossible to progress on this path without having a certain amount of love and compassion well-established in the mind. Now, let's talk about why is that so, right? Because sometimes we're not convinced. Like, I don't really need that, do I? And I can get through on wisdom, right, my sword. (laughs) But what happens is at the end, we fall on it. (laughs) Yeah, it becomes a little bit of our, our downfall, when we just have that one side cultivated, because to meet the true madness of the mind, and at this point, you have you seen the crazy part of your mind by now, right? <laughs> it's really important to see that. I, I can't remember what teacher. I don't know if it was Ajahn Chah or Chogyam Trungpa used to say. If you haven't seen the insanity of your mind, you just haven't meditated long enough, right? <laughs> it's like the stories and the Oh my God, what we can make up in a moment, right? And what we think about, it can go anywhere, right? So in order to transform that and to let go of all the suffering and all the delusion, you have to be able to meet it with compassion, right? You have to be able to meet it with a certain amount of love and kindness. That's the only thing that can heal it in a way, Right this wisdom to see what's happening and the love of accepting what is happening, right Because somewhere inside of us we are fighters. right And I, I used to fight all the time, oh my gosh. But the thing about it, fighting is is that we always lose when we approach it in that way. right We end up fighting ourselves, fighting the moment. So this whole spiritual path then becomes about this development of love and compassion more and more and more we start to see the value of it right in order for us to move you know i use this analogy all the time when i'm teaching metta and i'll just reference it again when um you know i always use this image of we're on these boats humanity like imagine we're all on this river right and seven billion people are in these little boats and we're all going downstream, you know, humanity. We're moving downstream. And those who have a lot of love and compassion well developed in the mind, they're upright in their boat, right? So as any journey, there's parts where it's raining or there's the rapids or, oh my gosh, this little thing is coming and you're navigating, right? You're navigating, but you're upright, right? You're like, okay, I got this, right? Oh, the a big turn coming. Let's turn. Ooh, got it, Right. You maybe have to get up and use a pole or something, right? But you're navigating and you're upright. When we don't have that established, when we don't have that love, that self-love, that compassion for oneself, we're going down the river, but we're capsizing maybe every 10 minutes, right? Maybe every 15 minutes. Now, if you've ever flipped over in a boat or a kayak or a canoe it's really exhausting to get back up, right? It's like a huge effort. Your stuff's everywhere, ah, right? It takes a lot of time to be uh, you know, flipped over on the side. So you're getting down the river, for sure, everybody is. But how are you getting down? And how long does it take at that rate? <laughs> a long time, right? So these qualities become really essential this self love becomes really essential. I like this little, uh, yeah, little paragraph by Rumi. He writes A pearl goes for auction, goes up for auction. No one has enough, so the pearl buys itself. <laughs> In some way, guys, we have to buy ourselves, right? This meta is about looking within. And this is what's so profound, is that everything that we're looking for is within. You know, so with love and metta and compassion, we're always looking outward for that, right? And that's very unstable. Like, sort of what Pascal was saying, is no stability in that. Because if we wait for someone to sit around all day going, I love you, I love you, I love you, that's unstable, guys. <laughs> right? Maybe your partner feels like it one day, and the next they don't. Do it yourself. I'm tired. i got stuff to do. I can't sit around doing that all day today, right? You gotta, you, we have to find that for ourselves. And we have to transform this inner violence that we experience directed at ourselves. It's so painful. There's a war happening and it's here. Have you noticed this? Right? This mind that is so critical, is so harsh, Right? And it puts us up against some standard. I don't know who decided these standards. Standards of beauty, standards of how we're supposed to act, you know, all these standards that we, we hold ourselves to. So we have to transform ourselves first. And this is what the path is offering us. This is what the path is about, actually. is coming into greater and greater awareness of ending the war into more peace into more kindness. Loving yourself enables you to love others. If somebody hates themselves and they say, Spring, I love you, I question it, actually. But how do you know love? How do you know? Because I know if I do any little thing, I'm going to be stabbed in the back a little bit. right? (laughs) It's like, they'll turn, right? Because that's what the relationship is with themselves. You only can emanate what you're doing with you. Right, what's in here all day is is what's reflected out, right? So this is why this work, looking at your mind for hours and hours, is so valuable, right? We're letting go of all of that. I like the story a lot. I like to, you know, for me, I use a lot of uh, shamanism and um, archetypal and mythological um story to help me understand the path of the dharma right because that resonates for me i, I see it as you know what we're in guys here is a story within a great story aren't we right we're telling a story all day long right we're in we're in a giant story and in some way i like joseph campbell the great mythological he taught myth and all these beautiful books he taught a he taught courses, and, and so I resonate. I want to talk a little bit about this path called the hero's journey, or the heroine's journey. You could use hero, heroine. And he maps out this whole cycle that we're in on this spiritual path. right? Like, what is happening? And he uses the Buddha a lot and other great masters to map out this hero's journey. And the hero's journey, we can see, all over the place. It's in our culture, it's in our it's in our minds. It's Star Wars basically, right? <laughs> we're all Luke Skywalker, Leia, whoever you want to be, pick your character, you know, maybe R2D2, whatever you resonate with, <laughs> right? But we're in these stories, right? Of of sort of this epic light versus dark this battle. You know, you could look at that as outer, but it's also the inner, the inner plane. So in the, in the hero's journey, there's always the beginning, which is the call to awaken, right? And something starts knocking on the door like, this isn't working anymore, right? The mind gets really crazy. Sometimes something really terrible happens to wake people up when they don't listen to the call, right? And the call is the highest part of yourself going, hello, it's time now to enter the path. This is why you came here. You're forgetting who you are, right? You have to remember. So the hero's journey starts always with the call to awaken. It's what brought you here. Like, why did you come here? This is so unusual to spend seven days in silence. You could have been at a festival. You could have been, you know what I mean? This is intense, sitting with your knee pain and your mind states, (laughs) right? This is... You're incredibly unique to do this. I hope you recognize this. Right? This is going against the stream for sure. Right? To come here and to look at your mind, to listen to what's happening, right? To pay attention. What is happening in this mind and body. Right? We come seeking answers. We come to listen. I love to see, I love to describe Buddhism as deep listening right we're listening to our body we're listening to the heart in the silence we grow we learn right there's something really magical about meditation right the more we rest in the present moment the more this kind of alchemical healing happens isn't that amazing right the more wisdom develops through presence it's almost like we stop right and we press the pause button That's really what the Buddha did. There was all this madness going on, and he said, what would happen if I just stopped and then I observed? And then what happens is we start to see the mirage, right? We start to see what's true and what's not true, right? And this, in some way, this is the journey, is to see this and to know this. And so we get called to this, this path, Right, this awakening energy—it starts to get louder and louder and louder. I often tell the story about my first retreat that I, I I went to in Yucca Valley. I was about twenty-three, and at the time I was living in East Oakland with my my then boyfriend, and um, we had a terrible relationship, and we were fighting all the time, like day and night, and uh, I was really depressed and unhappy. And I was selling timeshare, if you can believe it. It's really bad timeshare in Palm Springs. We were trying to talk people into buying this whole thing in Redwood City. It was horrible. <laughs> like, the worst sales job you can imagine. And sadly, I was kind of good at it. It just goes to show you, I've changed. <laughs> and, um, and I was just on the verge of a complete meltdown. And I, I, anyway, I got, I quit that job and my car was getting repossessed and and we were in this neighborhood where everyone else was fighting. Even our dog had a bad attitude and was (laughs) trying to bite people. We were like, oh, this is horrible, right? And I was like, I've got to get out of here. And I heard about a 10-day retreat. In Yucca Valley it was actually before this hall was completed this upper hall so Spirit Rock used to rent out venues all the time for retreats so this was in Southern California in the desert and I just remember being like I've got to get to that retreat no matter what happens and I you know figured out a way to to register and everything and and the day before I left of course it was the ultimate meltdown right usually that can happen before we have a big shift everything goes into crisis mode, <laughs> everything falls apart, right, we get fired, or the people leave us, or we we go crazy, maybe at partying, and a, a trauma happens, right before a big awakening, it goes into complete system, burnout, whatever, and that definitely was me, so we had this huge fight, and I packed up my car. I had nowhere to go after the retreat, and I drove down to Southern California. At eight o- I remember at maybe six o'clock in the morning, and I was crying hysterically the entire time. Oh, also chain smoking, yeah, <laughs> forgot about that, and uh, and drinking Mountain Dew like by the gallon, and I was just driving. I could have killed my, I don't even know how I got there. I was the worst driver. But luckily it wasn't through the desert, you know, it wasn't so bad. And I remember I arrived at the retreat, at the registration, and I almost collapsed on the table. I was like, I need help, right? And it was a retreat for beginners. It was a 10-day retreat for beginners. There was 150 people there at that retreat, and it was changed my life, right? And it was like, I went feeling like I was dead, And some of you may feel like that, like, wow, you arrive here in an ambulance, but it's on the inside. On the outside, we act fine. I'm good, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Everything's fine, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. But inside, there's this inner, like, something's wrong. And the call is about answering that, like, something is wrong, I can't figure out what, but something is calling me to something deeper, And so I'm proud of you all because you listened. You arrived. And it may not have been what you expected. It may not be what you expected. But this is what we do. We answer the call. right? We start to listen to something deeper. It's really beautiful. So... As the hero's journey continues after there's this call to awaken, and this is what happened to the Buddha, guys. The Buddha was living his happy life in the palace, indulging in everything, and then guess what happened? He became unhappy at 29. <laughs> like, I want to get out of here, right? Where, where, what's going? Get me out of this palace. I want to look around. What's in the real world? You know, he had been naive in some way. He was isolated in this palace life. And in some way, that's what the call is asking us to do. It's like, go outside, look around. So sometimes we have to make a journey when we're answering it. You know, sometimes people go, I met people coming to the jungle or they go on a trip to the mountains, right? They're led to different places on the earth sometimes, the forest, the desert, right? A different culture, right? They're, they're called to that. And so the Buddha was too, right? He's like, I want to leave, I want to get out of here, I'm unhappy. Something was waking him up, right? And he had all these heavenly messengers and we get the same messengers too, right? Somebody starts to wake, us. things start happening. Have you noticed that, right? Things start trying to wake us up, get our attention. It's like, hello, hello. And sometimes it's difficult things. But something is getting our attention. And then at that part, Once we've answered the call, we have to go through what is called the road of trials. (laughs) The tests, the obstacles, right? This is the, the map of the hero's journey. This is where we have to go out and slay the dragon. Oh my God, right? This is where we have to go out and we face our demons, right? This is the part of the retreat where you sit with something that you thought I could never sit with, or you face the one thing you're scared to face. Right? You have to look right at it. you have to transform it. And so is it a real fight? It's the, always the fight inside. You know it's metaphor. We go out and we, we meet ourselves. So the Buddha goes and he spends six years in the forest, right looking at his mind, and then it ends with this epic showdown with Mara, the chief of all demons. But it's a classic tale. Right Again, if you lose Star Wars, it's Luke having to fight the Empire, or whatever, or the Avatar, or whatever movie you can relate to. There's always this thing where you feel unprepared, but you have to go forward anyway. Isn't that always it? You're like, but I can't possibly fight this huge thing. Yes, you can, right? Because that's the hero's job. That's the heroine's job. And this is, again, archetypal and this is what we're doing here with our spiritual life. Right we're meeting these places in ourselves that we thought I could never open to this, I could never sit with this. And sometimes we feel overwhelmed. You know, when I grew up too, I had so much trauma happen at an early age. Oh, one thing after another and growing up with violence in the inner city and abandonment and betrayal. And, you know, and when I was 16, I had to really kind of live on my own and take care of myself. You know, if there wasn't anyone else to do that job, right, I needed to do that. And I can learn from that. We can learn from our most difficult situations, I have seen this to be true. That whatever it is that you have come here with, right? Whether it's an abuse, or it's a betrayal, or it's a loss of some kind, or maybe you were given a diagnosis, we use that to awaken. It's part of the road of trials. It was like it's so beautiful what Pascal was sharing about what happened to him when he got a diagnosis when he was in his early 20s right? That becomes the call, right? It's like, ah, okay, we can use that. In our healing process, in our transformation process, we really learn compassion from our difficulties. Without suffering, you don't grow. You don't grow the same way. It's through meeting the challenges that we become humble, that we learn. I want to read you something kind of funny. This is a, a there's a teacher called Ajahn Semedo. He's kind of like the grandfather of the, sort of the grandfather of Spirit Rock and IMS. He was ordained in the early 60s, and he is one of the very first people to go to Thailand and become a monk, and, and it really, he's maybe, gosh, he must be 80 now, is, that, is he about 70s? yeah somewhere in there he's definitely an elder and he's really looked to he's the teacher of many of the teachers here at spirit rock you know they look to him for guidance he lives in uh, england uh, and he's still a monastic anyway i want to i want to read you something that he wrote that i, I think is kind of entertaining he said so this is what he's talking about about giving dharma talks he says when i was young I was very self-conscious to say something in public was terrifying for me. Even when I was in the Navy, just having to raise my voice to say aye aye sir in a public roll call would have me shaking because of self-consciousness. Then I became a school teacher, teaching eight and nine-year-old Chinese children in North Borneo for a couple of years. That wasn't such a threat. But then becoming a monk in Thailand, and eventually having to give talks to Thai people in Thai, all this self-consciousness became apparent. The highs you'd get when you felt you'd given a good talk and everyone would say, you're really good, Samadho. You can give good Dhamma. <laughs> then sometimes I would give a really stupid talk and think, I don't want to give another talk ever again. I didn't become a monk to give talks anyway. But the idea was to keep watching this. Lung Por. Cha would always encourage me to keep aware of the pride, the conceit, the embarrassment, and the self-consciousness that I would feel. And fortunately in Thailand, the people are such that they are grateful for a monk just giving any talk. Even if it's not a very good talk, it doesn't seem to upset them very much. They still seem quite grateful about it, so that made it easy. One time at a katina ceremony where we had to sit up all night, Ajahn Cha said, And Ajahn Chah is this great teacher, Jack's teacher, great master. He says, Ajahn Chah says, Tomato, you have to give a talk for three hours tonight. And up until then, I'd only talked for half an hour. That was a strain, three hours. He smiled, he knew. (laughs) With Ajahn Chah, I always felt that if he said something, I'd, I'd do it. So I sat on the high seat and talked for three straight hours. And I had to sit there and watch people get up and leave. I had to sit there and watch people just lie down on the floor and sleep in front of me. <laughs> and at the end of the three hours, there were still a few polite old ladies sitting there. <laughs> that wasn't Ajahn Cha Ajahn saying, Okay, tomato, go in there and bowl them over with some scintillating stuff. Entertain them, sock it to them. I began to realize that what he wanted me to do was be able to look at this self-consciousness, the posing, the pride, the conceit, the grumbling, the lazy, the not wanting to be bothered, the wanting to please, the wanting to entertain, the wanting to get approval. All of these have come up during the Dharma talks of these last years, but the meditation is one in which more and more one feels a real understanding of the suffering of a self-view, and then through the insight, one realizes the abiding in emptiness. So I like this because he is learning through the difficulty. And Ajahn Chah, yeah, of course, you know, making someone give three-hour talk, you know, when they're terrified. Facing our fear. So that's a mild example. But that's the way that the path of road of trials works. It's like we face what is the, the hardest thing. Yeah, we work with it, and then what we see is that what we were so afraid of is the paper tigers. Right? It's like ah, oh, there was really nothing there. It was just energy, right? And we we keep willing, we keep becoming willing to look deeper and deeper. But again, this looking and the road of trials has to be rooted in the heart, right? What's classic about all the hero's journey? is the love of what they're protecting, right? They love the earth, they love people, they're, they're, they're saving something, right? There's this love in that, right? There's this, like, uh, yeah, we're doing this for a reason, and that becomes the compassion. I mean, honestly, if you think about your life here, and it's a good time to reflect, what do you wanna do on this planet? How do you wanna live? Right, do you wanna live your life obsessed with collecting things? I mean that that can be okay for a little bit of time. Right? But we're here to to be of service in some way, to help the planet. (laughs) I always say now as I give any talk anywhere, I always say, guys, what we need are Buddhas. Can you hurry and wake up, please? (laughs) We need we need more Buddhas in the world. Right? All hands on deck. Right? So the more you transform yourself, the more you awaken this, the more you are of benefit to all beings. One beautiful person who opens their heart can transform huge masses of people. Right? This is, this is, I find this very exciting. It doesn't take everybody. It takes just a few. Right, If we were going to wait for all seven billion, wow, good luck. Right, But you know what? We only need a few percent to wake up, and that has an effect on the whole world, right? Just a few of you. I find that very exciting, eh? hopeful, right? So the path becomes about healing, compassion, as we grow more and more, our difficulties. So as the hero or heroine goes out, and they, they go through the road of trials, Right? Wherever that journey takes us, you know, it could take us to the mountains on retreats, into relationship, even to having children. It doesn't look any certain way. It's different for everybody. Right? We embrace the challenges as they come. And, and the beauty is that at the end of that, the hero or heroine brings back what they have learned to the community. <laughs> they come home. Even the Buddha, people don't always know the story that he, he went home. Right, and he went back to his family's home and his community. Right, he didn't live there permanently. He was now a spiritual teacher. Right, he had awakened. He had awoken to something. People wanted to learn from him, and he was happy to teach them. He went home. He taught his father. He taught his uh, ex-wife. I guess you could say at that point is the princess. Taught his son, and all of them were reported in later texts to have had full awakenings. Right? So he went back. It's like you're bringing back the knowledge. And we do this through cycles of death and rebirth. You know, this archetype of death-rebirth I love to talk about because we die at periods of time and then we're reborn. Right? It's like some part of us dies. And that can be also what produces a lot of grief on retreat. Right? It's like some part is going. Right? Maybe it's the child part or way we used to be. And uh, I forget, in an interview, somebody was talking about sort of some of that today. Like, will I get lonely on the path? <laughs> like, what, what will I do if I'm alone here, right? So I, and I remember when I was younger, too, when I had this huge awakening on my first retreat, something died after that, this way of being, right? It was like things I was interested in, the friends I used to have. And that, too, was kind of painful, right? But then we're reborn into something else. We, we grow in a different direction. That's part of the hero's path, is at times you go alone, right? You're like, okay, I don't, I don't know who's around me, but I, I have the strength to walk alone for a period of time. We're willing to do that. That's the courage that it takes. And really, to walk this path, guys, you're going to need courage, Right, there's going to be a moment where you're not going to know whether to go left or right. You're not going to see the light ahead of you fully, and you step out anyway. Right? It's like, ah, I'm going to walk. I have faith. Right? I'm not sure why I'm being guided to do this, but I'm going. Right? We started to learn this intuitive magic, and isn't that always in a lot of our our mist in the world too? Oftentimes, the character in the story gets lost, and as they're getting lost, the journey happens, right? It's like, on my way home, I fell down the rabbit hole, right? And the whole mystical path opens up, right? But in the end, the person comes back home, right? So there's always this return, this death, rebirth, return. The Buddha had this too, guys. When he left the palace, he died to his life as a prince, They say that he went on the bank of the river and he ordained himself. He cut all his hair, he threw his robes down, his golden, you know, ornate clothes that he was wearing as the prince, you know. And that part of his life died. He gave away his wealth and he then was born as the renunciate. And so our life is full of that. That's also what Pascal was referring to as the impermanence of our identity. This identity that we cling to right now could be gone in six months, a year. It's like, oh, that one died, now that something else is born, right? We would like, ah, it's something new. So we make space for that. Cycles. Maybe you were married and now you're not, or you were in a partnership and now you're not. Maybe you were the student and now you're out of that, right? We're growing up, we move maybe you separate from your family and now you're on your own. Right? So at this age, there's a lot of death rebirth moments here. And as the Buddha ordained himself on the river, right, as that part of him died, there was a joy in the rebirth. I'm sure he had moments of struggle to leave everything that he had known, right? To renounce everything, to go against the culture of that time. That was huge. You don't do that, right? If you're a prince, (laughs) you know? You stay in your family. You stay in the royalty, right? You don't become a beggar. (laughs) That That was a big one. So while you're here, you might find that you are ordaining yourself I remember when I was on the Yaka retreat, my first retreat. There was this little mountain, and I went up on the top, and I ordained myself. I didn't even know what I was doing, but there was a death happening and a rebirth in that moment. It was like, ah, the Dharma is my life now. This is the path I want to follow. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I want to be free. And if this is what it can offer, I'm on board. Right? I, I just like I signed on somewhere deep in my heart right it's like yes so difficulties can happen things things come our way we work with them i like this other story the story of the butterfly a man found a cocoon of a butterfly one day a small opening appeared He sat and watched the butterfly for several hours on his kitchen table as it struggled to squeeze its body through the tiny hole. Then it stopped as if it could go no further. So the man decided to help the butterfly. He took a pair of scissors and snipped off the remaining bits of cocoon. The butterfly emerged easily, but it had a swollen body and shriveled wings. The man continued to watch it expecting that at any minute the wings would enlarge and expand enough to support the body. Neither happened. In fact, the butterfly spent the rest of its life crawling around on the table. It was never able to fly. What the man in his kindness and haste did not understand was that the restricting cocoon And the struggle required by the butterfly to get through the opening was a way of forcing the fluid from the body into the wings so that it would be ready for flight once that was achieved. Sometimes struggles are exactly what we need in our lives. Going through life with no obstacles would cripple us. We would not be as strong as we could have been and we would never fly. And so that that, in some way, is the archetype of the hero's journey. We have to meet ourselves, right? We have, we have to go there, to all the places in our mind and our heart. But we go there with compassion. We go there with tenderness. And to cultivate the compassion, to see how innocent we are in our confusion. You know, I've, I was talking to Pascal after his talk last night, and I was like, wow, we... We hit him with the truth there. (laughs) You know, you 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 gave it to him, Pesca. I love it. (laughs) But now it's like, okay, now that we see, you know, we're not in control. This is all happening to us. How do we really hold on for the ride, right? This is where compassion becomes the real weapons. If we were going to use the word weapons of the warrior, they don't have, you know hatred or that that's not that that's not the true weapons and this side you could say this would be love and this would be compassion and they're the most powerful swords that you could dance with right because they cut through delusion they cut through the war right because if you think about it all this is happening in the mind isn't it interesting how we're just sitting here in silence and it's like all hell's breaking loose right it's like but we're just sitting here right god we how many places have you been how much have you went through right guys it's all mental isn't that fascinating i'm still continually fascinated by that like we haven't went anywhere we've walked up and down the hill (laughs) that's it but the depths that we've gone to, the, the things we've seen, right? <laughs> so profound. This is all in the mind, right? Very interesting. You see the power of that. It's very fascinating to me. So that's good news, because that's something, if it's here, we could solve that. Ultimately, I feel like when I think of the night, the Buddha had his awakening in all the Buddhas but throughout time. Buddha just means state of mind. It means awakened one. It's not unique to him. This is a state of being, right? There's been millions of Buddhas in the past, millions in the future. This is a, it's a, it's a mind state, right? And when I, I think about that, I always imagine as the Buddha is sitting there, it's like this chess game going on. <laughs> he makes a move. The deluded mind makes a move, Right. He makes another mood, more of the deluded mind. And so in the end, it's checkmate, right? It's like, ah, I've seen through it, right? That's that's powerful. This is something that we could do. This is something every human can do. This is not something just for a special elite group of people. This is for you. This is for me. This is for everybody. It doesn't matter what your background is. You don't have to be a monk or a nun. This can be... This is for everyone, and it's important that you start to embody that, like, yes, I, this can, I too am part of this. This is my own human potential, right? I don't always have to suffer, right? I can get freer, happier. We have a, we meet our challenges, but it's also important to see that there is a, there is an end there is an end. It's like we stay in the present moment. The way to get to the goal, is, it's, a, it's a bit of a, it's ir- irony in some ways. It's paradoxical, right? It's like we're on this journey and we're going somewhere, but the way to get there is in the present moment. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, we can't figure that out, right? So we don't have to figure it out right now. All we have to do is just keep being, keep opening the heart, the heart knows how to get there, right? In the end, the Buddha's weapon was how he battled the biggest demon of all. How do you think he battled Mara? Mara wasn't even just a regular demon. Mara was the, the creator of all the demons. So this was the biggest, the baddest one of all time, right? The, the main architect of the whole structure. How did the Buddha win this, this fight when Mara was launching attack after attack after attack? love and compassion right it says that he held up his hand and just love and all the weapons fell to flowers to me that was a very profound teaching it stayed in my mind more than anything else i think around the dharma because that's what i wanted to know in the worst moment what is your weapon what do you do what how, how do you respond right and i wanted to use his exact example on the most critical moment of his entire life What was the weapon of choice? What was the response? Oh, it was love. That's powerful. And we can train in that. That's a beautiful thing. And we can can awaken to that. So Hopi creation story. The creator gathered all of creation and said, I want to hide something from the humans until they're ready for it. It is the realization that they create their own reality. The eagle said, Give it to me. I will take it to the moon. The creator said, No, one day they'll go there and they'll find it. (laughs) The salmon said, I will bury it at the bottom of the ocean. The creator said, No, they will go there too. The buffalo said, I will bury it out on the great plains. The creator said, They will cut into the skin of the earth and find it even there. Grandmother Mole, who lives in the breasts of Mother Earth and who has no physical eyes but sees with spiritual eyes, said, put it inside of them. And the creator said, it is done. So everything that we're looking for is in here. As the stories are playing out in here, ah, oh, the epic saga is here, 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 right? Everything we're going through is here, right? That also, all this wisdom is also here, right? Your, your Buddhahood, your Buddha nature, right, is here. So it's not just the insanity that's there, it's also the wisdom Right? It's primordial wisdom is here, too. Right? It, it's not just the insanity. So we wake up to that. We wake up to that. And that's what insight is really all about in insight meditation. It usually looks like this for me. Oh, my God, I can't believe I didn't see this. I have to remember. And it's another level of love being the answer. It's like, what's the answer to this? Oh, Love. That's why I often write love is the answer on Facebook <laughs> or anywhere, right? You need an answer to something, it's some variation of love. Just keep, I give that to you guys that's to contemplate, right? When you're stuck in a struggle, what could be, what's going on? Oh, can I love this moment? Can I open? Can I love this other person who's driving me crazy right now, right? And that, I love that as insight. Always having more insight into this awakening heart. So I just I want to tell you another joke. This is this made me laugh. Okay, you know Far Side comics and this one uh is a joke from them. And you know, there's cows everywhere around here and I like to look at them. They're, I haven't seen a lot of them, but they usually kind of walk around out on the hills and stuff. So so the Far Side comics, they use a lot of cow jokes. So this is one. You can't really see it, but there's these cows, there's these three cows, okay? And then one of the cows, he lifts up his head and he's, he says, hey, wait a minute. This is, is grass. We have been eating grass. (laughs) This is like his waking up moment, right? (laughs) And the other cows are just looking, right? And that's kind of what we're doing here, right? (laughs) Right? We're like, this is the mirage. Oh my God, I can't believe I didn't see it. And you want to point it out, like, do you guys sing this, right? The other cows aren't that interested. This cow is having a profound moment of insight, But that's also how it is with me and and others with love and compassion. It's like another level to it, right? It's another layer. Metta is so powerful. We don't even know. I don't even understand the full force of this. This is like some other level. It is boundless. This is compassion and love and joy and equanimity are called boundless. They're part of the Brahma Viharas. This goes out. Wide, big, far. I mean, this is, this energy is something I'm still contemplating, still understanding. It's like unraveling this mystery, right? It's beautiful. So we become, we become softer as we dedicate our lives to following the heart. And as I I close this talk, I just want us to. Understand the need to balance the heart and the mind. You need your intellect. That's not, the, that's, the intellect itself is not wrong. It's when it goes out of balance. It's when that is the only aspect that is operating, right? It's not that it's a, it's, a, it's not a negative actually to combine the wisdom with the love and compassion is, is, that's where we really can grow. So this talk is meant to be about balancing that within ourselves, within our culture, within our communities, right? That's what's kind of the, I think, the missing ingredient. I like that, you know, living, I was living in South America for a year, and there's this beautiful, and some of you might have heard about it, um, you know, as our planet is going through a whole cycle, the earth itself is going through a death rebirth, right? A big shifting period, and these energies, and, and the Mayan prophecy, and also in the Amazon, that prophecy of the eagle and the condor, right? And the eagle represents the north. And the condor represents the south. And the condor represents kind of like um, the heart, intuition, that's South America, nature, right? It represents um, just this path of love. And the eagle represents sort of more of the of power, right? Of more of the mind. And, and, and drive, and then for years they said that, you know, there was a great shift on the planet in around 1490 where the eagle energy became out of balance, and that's when the destruction started to happen to these other cultures that were more heart-based, right? But they prophesied in 500 years that would shift, right? And there would be this great merging of these energies, right, of the eagle and the mind coming into balance with the heart and the intuitive knowing, and it's interesting because North America and South America, South Americans are like, we're Americans. We're South Americans, right? And they have that. And I feel like there's these cultures coming together and the balancing of this heart and this mind. When I was traveling in South America, South America's often felt bad that they didn't have a lot of technology. They were like, "We don't have a lot of technology. We don't really use the Internet, Not, you know, most village people. I was living with indigenous people, but what they did have was heart wisdom. And that's actually what I needed, right? That's why I was there. I was like, "We got technology. If I need that, I know where to go. But what you have is something I don't have." right? And people were coming down there by the thousands seeking out, you know, wisdom and healing and heart, heart transformation. So this balancing is something that we're, we're doing collectively, I believe, on the planetary level. And so we're doing it within ourselves. So it's a beautiful path, the path with heart, the wise heart. Those are two good books by Jack, by the way. <laughs> Put a plug in for Jack Cornfield. He loves to talk about the heart. <laughs> um, but so do I, actually. So do I. So... Thank you guys for listening to some thoughts that were on my mind, and I, I hope it was helpful. So, let's just sit for a moment here. Okay, so we'll do some walking and then come back for our last sitting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org